Welcome to Columbus Perspective, a weekly public affairs presentation of The Fan. I'm Dave James. Open enrollment for Medicare is going on until December 7th. In a moment, I'll talk with a doctor from Knox County about his take on the health insurance program for seniors. Thursday is World AIDS Day. In about 15 minutes, Kate Burdett talks with someone from Equitas Health, a Columbus-based health care provider with a special event that day. Courtesy of our sister station, WBNS 10 TV, Tracy Townsend has an update on some of the bills at the Ohio State House getting consideration as the lame duck session of the Ohio General Assembly wraps up. The recent swatting incidents going on in Ohio, that's when someone calls in a phony active shooter threat to schools. And an update to AEP's response to the massive planned outage the utility enacted in the Columbus area on a day this past summer after severe storms swept through the area. And I'll wrap up the hour talking with someone from NeighborWorks America. It's a nonprofit that addresses affordable housing issues. First up on Columbus Perspective on the phone with me, Dr. Aaron Wilson, who is a family medicine physician with American Health Network. He's located in Fredericktown, just north of Mount Vernon. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for talking to us. We're going to talk about health care for seniors. Uh, Medicare open enrollment is going on right now, and it's a very complicated situation every year, I think, for seniors as they try to figure out what health care plans work for them. And it's just an important time medically for them anyway. It is, absolutely. Talk about that, why it is important. Uh, Well, it's the one time a year where seniors have the opportunity to take a look at their medical needs, their providers that they need to see, Uh, medications, and so on and so forth. Just once a year, between October 15th and December 7th, they have an opportunity to make an informed decision regarding their health care and health care needs. And it's my understanding that depending on what plan that you have, it's important to make those decisions because plans could be so different in the kind of coverage they may provide for various illnesses. That is correct, absolutely. I'm thinking, you know, somebody, uh, let's say it's somebody who does not have diabetes but might be diagnosed with diabetes in the coming year, that might make them want in the following year to choose a different plan that would cover diabetes better. Absolutely. For when I'm talking with my patients, uh, one of the things that I recommend is, is taking a look at several things. So first of all, when we take a look at our needs, knowing our needs like you alluded to, how often do I visit the doctor? Um, what kind of prescription medications do I normally take? And do I have certain hospitals or pharmacies that I wish to use? So a lot does depend, like you said, regarding our existing health care needs uh, and then our anticipated needs. So a good place to start is actually talking with your family doctor about any projected needs that he or she may uh, feel that you have over the upcoming year. Well, talk about with you and patients who are of uh, retirement age, who are on Medicare, how do they differ from younger patients, not just health-wise, but just in the way that you approach them? When it comes to our our folks over age 65 and the Medicare age population, uh, very big on prevention focused. So we're trying to identify any needs before they become large needs. And so when I'm talking with my patients and seeing them, I'm big on prevention. So... um, we, we like to start with at least a once-a-year visit where we can anticipate any immunization needs, um, lab work, any other studies that may be necessary uh, to, to anticipate anything before they become uh, bigger needs. Has the pandemic kind of complicated things for you and patients? Absolutely, uh, especially early on in the pandemic. Uh, there was a, a lot of 
concern from from patients primarily about how do I access care? Uh, do I have telehealth options, uh, face-to-face options, and and just trying to adapt to a changing environment was very challenging for, for a lot of our patients. Talking with Dr. Aaron Wilson, he's a family physician in Fredericktown in Knox County. Now, the open enrollment for Medicare is going on until December 7th. Do you talk at all with your patients about that and the plans that they may be on? Absolutely. So with, with all my Medicare age individuals, I want what's absolutely best for them. And what is best for them may change year to year and no uh, one-size-fits-all uh, philosophy. So I always recommend individuals either go to our, the Medicare.gov website. It's also a 1-800 number. They can call 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Or they can talk with a licensed healthcare uh, agent in their area and really understand what their options are and, and uh, make an informed decision. One of the things that seems like it's gotten more complicated is uh, the difference between Medicare Advantage and Supplemental Care, also known as Medigap. Medicare Advantage is, from what I understand, a health care program that is not part of Medicare, and Supplemental Care coverage is where you have Medicare and then also an additional insurance policy that picks up the other 20% that Medicare doesn't cover. Is that right? That is correct. So when we think about original Medicare, also referred to as traditional Medicare, this will include uh, Part A, which is our hospital-based coverage, and then there's Part B, which is our outpatient or medical coverage, where you would see your, your family doctor or any specialist would fall on that. And then each individual has the option to pick up a prescription plan, which is known as Part D. And what Medicare Advantage offers is everything that you just mentioned all included in one plan called the Medicare Advantage plan. Okay. When we see people like Joe Namath on TV talking about these policies, he's uh, pushing a plan that is not part of Medicare. It's a different plan provided by a private insurer that might offer perks beyond Medicare and a different rate charge, right? Absolutely. One of the key things, the differences that I inform my patients about is that many of the Medicare Advantage plans offer extra coverage that traditional or original Medicare does not, such as vision, hearing, dental services, uh, things of that nature. Are there downsides to that as a choice instead of supplementing Medicare with a different policy? Sure, there could be. It it really depends on the individual and and where that individual resides, where they reside, uh, zip code, and a lot of the preferences they have historically regarding pharmacies and um, hospital systems. So it is good to make an informed decision by talking with uh, an individual that can help guide you through this. One of the things that I saw as a possible difference, and and I guess this isn't a hard, fast rule, but it, it could be a guide, is that Medicare Advantage, you might get more perks, you might get things like dental care, things like that, but you also might be prone to more out-of-pocket costs that you don't expect, or you might be hit with an out-of-network charge that you wouldn't get if you were on supplemental care. That is a possibility. Each individual plan uh, that is in Medicare Advantage is different, and the out-of-pocket costs vary. So it's, it's good to understand where your network may lie. For instance, if you plan to stay locally in Ohio or whether you travel, it's, it's good to know what your options are and, and talk to a specialist regarding your specific situation. Talking with uh, Dr. Aaron Wilson, he's in Fredericktown. Do you care for seniors that are under both of those types of plans? Absolutely. 
large Medicare population in my outpatient practice. And we have individuals that have so many different types of Medicare, everything from traditional um, to the Medicare Advantage plans. Uh, so we have a good representation of both sides of, of our options for our seniors. The, the key to me for my patients is making sure they have the best that meets their needs individually. And so that's how I choose to guide my patients. So do you talk to somebody who, you know, I don't know, maybe if they're overweight, maybe if they've got the, the beginning signs of heart disease or something like that, do you talk to them about, you know, when you when open enrollment for Medicare comes along, you might want to consider this plan because if this ailment does happen next year, you probably ought to have this? Absolutely. That can be part of, of our decision-making when we're having discussions in the office is trying to anticipate the needs over the upcoming year and then uh, guiding my patients to uh, an individual that's an expert so they can identify what plan might meet their needs the best. We have individuals that are prevention-focused themselves and, and some that have had the good fortune of excellent health care throughout their life, and, and they may come across a time in their life where they have several medical needs that need to be addressed uh, all simultaneously. Dr. Wilson, what are other aspects of this that I'm missing that, that you'd like to talk about? talking with my patients is, is three basic concepts or three basic steps, if you will. So we talk a little bit about knowing our needs. Um, so how often we're visiting the doctor, uh, what prescription medications uh, do I normally take, what may I be taking over the upcoming year. So once I know my needs, uh, then I want to explore my choices. And I had mentioned that Medicare.gov is a great resource. And if folks haven't looked at Medicare.gov, it really does a side-by-side -side comparison of traditional Medicare plans as well as Medicare Advantage, and then it gives some resources to learn more information specifically. And then, um, you know, once I've explored my choices, then I have the opportunity between October 15th and December 7th to, to choose my option. And if, uh, and if I need to change that in, in the upcoming year, then I have that opportunity every October 15th through December 7th to make those changes. And according to some of the surveys that are taken, seniors seem pretty satisfied with Medicare or Medicare Advantage. Absolutely. Uh, based off of each individual person's need, uh, they can leverage some of the resources that are available either within traditional Medicare or within a Medicare Advantage plan. Some doctors don't take Medicare patients. Uh, is that ever an issue for you? I mean, is it is it something that you just feel like you are... Uh, kind of, uh, you know, morally obligated to do that, or, or what is your story with that? Sure. So I have made the decision early on to, to take Medicare uh, individuals into my practice. Um, I think it's a need, and I think it's very rewarding uh, with a lot of uh, life lessons that are shared, and, and also doing life with the people that, are, that I care for is very rewarding as well. And doctors in small towns, boy, they are uh, they're treasured resources. And, and I was just reading, I think there's an article today in the Columbus Dispatch about the shortage of doctors in rural areas. Yes, you're right, absolutely. Uh, in, in primary care in general, especially in a rural area, uh, we are noticing that uh, there are less new grads coming into primary care in some areas, especially in the rural setting. What are the advantages that you see working in a rural area? Well, I believe that in a rural area, individuals individual get to know you, you get to know individuals. Um, there are uh, families that I will care for where we have four generations within the same practice. And that to me is, is uh, 
an opportunity, it's a privilege to be able to do those things. Um, also, I, I feel that as a doc in a, a small community, you really are part of the community and, and you can be a cornerstone to a lot of the things that happen um, during the uh, course of a year and in a rural setting. You can live in a city like Columbus and, and hardly ever run into somebody at the store or whatever where you know people, and that happens all the time in the smaller towns. It absolutely does. You can be picking up a cup of coffee and strike, strike up a conversation with a long-time patient. They'll often pull me to the side and say, hey, I want to show you pictures of my grandkids and what they're doing. And, and to me, that, that's very fulfilling. Talking with Dr. Aaron Wilson. He's a family medicine physician with American Health Network located in Fredericktown. What is American Health Network? American Health Network is a care delivery organization um, that is in Indiana and Ohio. And we are, at least in the Ohio area, we are uh, exclusively primary care, so family medicine and internal medicine. Okay. Uh, Anything else you'd like to add, doctor? I just appreciate the opportunity and just want to encourage folks to check out Medicare.gov. And you have until December 7th to make any selections that you would like to make. All right. Good information. Dr. Aaron Wilson, he is a family physician in Fredericktown. Thanks so much for your time today. Thank you for the opportunity. This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Here's Kate Burdett. I'm joined today by Gregory Price. He is the Prevention's Program Manager for Equitas Health. Based in Columbus, they provide inclusive and affirming health care for people in the LGBTQ plus community. Hi, Gregory. Thanks for being here. Hi. Thank you so much for having me. My pleasure. We have uh, a day of note coming up Thursday, December 1st is World AIDS Day. And in recognition and observance of World AIDS Day, you have a pretty special event planned, don't you? Absolutely, yes. So we have um, the inaugural Shades of Red. Um, It's a celebration of World AIDS Day uh, with art, fashion, music, and uh, different other different talents that day. And that's going to be held where? Uh, So it'll be held on uh, December 1st at 7 p.m. at the Columbus Museum of Art. And I understand this is open to the public. Tickets are on sale now, right? Yes, they are on sale now. Um, If you go to Equitas Health or to our Facebook page, there's an invite. Um, You can find us on Facebook at uh, Brothers in Unity um, and just scroll down the page and you'll see an invite um, to go to classy.org. You can type in the search at classy.org Brothers in Unity and you'll find the actual ticket sales there. Wonderful. It sounds like a really, a really great evening for people who enjoy art, for people who enjoy giving back to a great cause, and that being Equitas Health and specifically the prevention programs that you manage. Can you tell us a little bit about what goes into your day-to-day work life, Greg? Um, what, what do you do in the, as a preventions manager for, for Equitas? So, yes, absolutely. So I manage a team of individuals who provide um, STI and HIV services uh, throughout Central Ohio. So that's basically uh, we do uh, testing here at our um, 750 East Long location. Um, And then we go out into the community to just do general outreach and raise awareness around HIV prevention and education. We have a program that we're funded through, which is called, uh, which is a grant through the CDC, um, and it allows us to actually uh, provide testing to the targeted population. So right now, um, the CDC recognizes MSM of color as one of the highest risks of um, communities that is uh, contracting HIV. 
And that's where Brothers in Unity comes in as well. Can you share a little of uh, what that organization, that's that subgroup, I guess, of Equitas does? Yeah. Um, so Brothers in Unity is an affirming and social wellness space that's designed for um, same gender loving men of color. Um, it provides like a brotherhood and sort of like a support system, um, an engagement empowerment system for all of the men that actually uh, frequent that space. Um, so they do community outreach. They have um, spaces where they're able to do yoga. Um, they've had a book club um, here recently. Um, they do line dancing. Um, they talk about um, if, events and um, situations that are affecting them on their daily, just so that they can bring awareness to that there's a need for this type of interaction within that community. And it sounds like you have your work cut out for you. Quite a few different things going on within that group. And of course, the the day coming up, World AIDS Day on Thursday, December 1st. And whereas HIV AIDS is not necessarily the prognosis it used to be, 20, 30 years ago, it is still, as you've stated, you know, one of the things in in the community that needs some attention and uh, some work done around it. What nowadays is kind of the focus of a World AIDS Day? Of course, we're remembering those lost to this horrible disease on a day like that. But you're also kind of uh, you're amplifying your message of prevention, aren't you? Yes, absolutely, because um, what we want to make clear and present to the community is that it's a day of awareness because there are still people who are being um, uh, given diagnosis of being HIV positive. Um, And what we want to do is make sure that we center ourselves around that awareness day so that we can keep promoting healthy living, funding for these actual programs, um, and just a general sense of education to bring, you know, to communities who are less fortunate to to receive that that type of funding, those type of programs, and a general sense of uh, ending stigma um, across the actual um, communities that we serve. And the stigmatization really is kind of a major issue, I would imagine, in our current, um, shall we say, political climate as well. It, it seems like there may be some new challenges for you in your work. Uh, I definitely agree that there are uh, growing challenges, um, but I believe with the type of work that we are doing here at Equitas Health that will overcome those those um, those battles. What would you say is the most important message that you want to share with the community and whether that is the same gender loving community or the cis straight community, whoever they might be, about the work that you do and about um, the awareness in the community that you're raising? Um, so there are three things that I, I will want um, people to take away from like the messaging that we have. Um, one of them being that knowledge is power, um, making sure that you know all it is that you know about your sexual health, um, being able to uh, utilize different um, organizations to be able to get the things that you necessarily need. Um, the second one is that prevention is key. Um, so making sure that you're staying up on your sexual health, going to get tested every three to six months, making sure that you're having those healthy conversations with your partners uh, when engaging in sexual activities. I mean, and then the last one I think that I want people to take away is that utilize your resources. Um, we are here. Um, there are 17 different offices across the state that Equitas Health houses. Make sure that you utilize us for any resource that you need. We're here. A lot of our services are free. And if it's not free, we'll find ways to actually make sure that it's no cost to you. 
And Equitas Health is is open to anyone, right? It, it, you don't have to be a member of a specific community, as we've discussed, to take advantage of, to avail yourself of these services at Equitas Health, including the pharmacy, right? Absolutely. We welcome everyone, anyone that wants to have an inclusive health care. Um, we open our doors to everybody. So that's one of the things that I love about working here at Equitas Health. Uh, this Thursday, however, is kind of a a more festive occasion. And um, again, it's Thursday evening, December 1st at 7 p.m. at the Columbus Museum of Art. We're talking with Greg Price. He is a prevention programs manager for Equitas Health in Columbus. And the event on Thursday is in observance of World AIDS Day. You mentioned briefly at the beginning of our conversation, Greg, uh, what the evening entails. But let's talk a little more. You said there's an artistic kind of experience. There will be live music and things. Um, What else can we look forward to that evening? Um, So there's going to be a visual performance from one of our local community members who um, actually tells their story through song and dance. So that is one of the... Um, one of the most important things that I think will be um, apparent in the evening. Um, The second thing is being that there are about 15 designers that um, have agreed to be a part of this actual celebration. So they'll be displaying their work. Um, And the best part about that, um, all 15 designers have, um, are people of color, excuse me, um, and then a majority of the actual members are of the LGBT community. So we're giving them the opportunity to display their work um, and just bring awareness to the actual day. And when you say designers, these are fashion designers? Absolutely, yes. So all of these designers have created some type of um, clothing line. um, And then we do have someone that is actually um, displaying their, their design for the first to the public. So that'll be great as well. That sounds really exciting. I think that's going to be a really special evening. Again, World AIDS Day is Thursday, December 1st, and Equitas Health and Brothers in Unity as part of Equitas Health are celebrating and observing that day with an event at the Columbus Museum of Art. You can go to the Equitas Health website. That's spelled E-Q-U-I-T-A-S if you're using a search engine. Uh, They're easy to find, and they have a lot of great resources. We'll probably be talking to someone from Equitas here in the near future because it's going to be AIDS walk time before we know it in the spring. But for now, we'll focus on World AIDS Day. Greg Price, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for taking the time to do this. I definitely appreciate you. Columbus Perspective is a public affairs presentation of WBNS. Radio. The opinions expressed on this program are those of its guests and do not necessarily reflect those of WBNS Radio, its staff, management, or sponsors. Courtesy of our sister station, WBNS 10 TV, here's Tracy Townsend from her Sunday morning public affairs program, Face the State. A new edition can be seen this morning at 1130 on 10 TV. Good morning and thank you for joining us here on Face the State. I'm Tracy Townsend. Ohio lawmakers got to work in the lame duck session. It's the final push to pass legislation before the end of the year. They covered a wide range of topics. This morning, we are going to highlight several bills. One, to increase the penalty for swatting calls, crack down on distracted driving, allow mental health days for students, and a take on transgender rights issues. Let's start with the proposed legislation that would prevent doctors from performing gender transition on kids. 10TV's Kevin Landers spoke with people on both sides of that debate. Everyone should vote no. Everyone should fight back. 
A protester shouted to members of the Aging and Human Services Committee over a bill called Save Adolescents from Experimentation. Because I'm strongly opposed to House Bill 454, banning gender-affirming health care for minors. Among those who testified, Jeopardy! champion Amy Schneider, who told the committee if she were to be denied puberty blockers, her life would be ruined. I don't know that I could go on living. And I hope that I would, and I'd hope that I'd find a way to do it, but I really believe that I might not survive. The bill would require minors who want to transition from their assigned gender to wait two weeks in order for a doctor to diagnose puberty blockers. And this proposed legislation is dangerously discriminatory. Those with trans children say the bill is an example of government overreach. If passed, House Bill 454 would make my job as a father much harder. State Representative Gary Click is the bill's sponsor. I feel like we've made a number of strides to address their concerns, uh, but I still think there, you, we have to listen to the kids who've been through this who have regrets. In fact, the bill was amended. It no longer requires bans on puberty blockers, but requires a child to seek a second opinion from a doctor before receiving gender-affirming medicine and must be screened for mental health and sexual abuse. And so we have to let children, give children time to figure out a little bit who they are without mind-altering drugs like puberty blockers and cross-sex hormones. He says the bill is also an attempt to protect children who want gender affirmation surgery, then regret it later. Parents said this was this bill is full of misinformation and the bill is is has roots in in fear. How do you respond to that? Oh, I'm not afraid of anybody. The bill's future is uncertain since there was no vote to take it out of committee. At the State House, Kevin Landers, 10 TV News. Ohio is not the only state attempting to change law. The Florida Board of Medicine recently voted to start drafting a rule that would bar all minors in the state from receiving puberty blockers, hormone therapy or surgeries as treatment for gender dysphoria. House Bill 619 looks to add mental health days for students. It would authorize school districts to allow children in grades K through 12 to take up to three mental health days as excused absences from school. School districts that allow for mental health days would be required to excuse a student's mental health day without a doctor's note. Schools must provide an opportunity for children to make up any schoolwork missed, and a student could take an in-school mental health day. State Rep Willis Blackshear Jr. of Dayton is the bill's sponsor. The purpose of it is, is that we want to tackle some of these issues on the front end, besides having to deal with some of these issues on the back end. Mental health is one of those things that oftentimes doesn't get talked about a lot. When a child is tired, uh, a child doesn't feel 100%, we need to create an avenue for them to be able to say, hey, I need to take a step back. Just like how adults are. You know, when an adult is tired and they don't feel like going to work, they can take the day off. I feel like a student should be able to have that same opportunities. The House passed a distracted driving bill after making a significant change. The bill originally aimed to cite people who were looking at their phones while at a stop sign or traffic light. Republicans managed to get that removed. The bill would make using a handheld phone a primary offense for adults. The current law is only those under the age of 18. The first offense would cost you a $150 fine or you have the option of taking a distracted driving course. If you complete it, you won't have the points put on your license. 10 TV talk with the bill sponsor, Republican Cindy Abrams, and another Republican who supports the bill, but doubts it will make the road safer.
The officer has to see you, and, and listen, you and I both know, you guys are on the road enough as the media, you see people driving down the roadway, swerving around, their, their faces are in their phones, they're looking right at their phone at the steering wheel. So that is what this law targets is, again, put the phone down, drive your car. You can still use your Bluetooth, you can still use all of your apps to listen to music. There's a single swipe for our Uber and Lyft drivers, you know, where they can still use their navigation as it's mounted in the car as they do. Again, I believe that we've come to, through this whole process of almost two years, a lot of um, common sense changes to the bill. Here's Republican State Representative Bill Seitz of Cincinnati. I, I'm not sure it's going to make the roads safer. I'm, I, 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 I hope they do, but, you know, there's an old saying, you can't fix stupid. And if people are going to be stupid, they're going to be stupid. The fact that they might get a ticket is not going to deter them any more than a speeding is commonplace and reckless driving is commonplace. Um, you know, people need to be smart and they need to realize that you're driving a car at 60, 70, 80 mile an hour. You need to be focused on the road. The safety of teenagers on the road is the focus of Maria's message. Nearly 700 kids in the Hill, in the Hilliard School District heard that message. 10 TV's Dom Tavari took his presentation to Hilliard Darby High School. You'll recall Dom lost his daughter Maria in a car accident back in 2013. Since then, he's taken her story to 148 schools, which means over 130,000 kids in central Ohio have heard Maria's story and pledged to keep their hands on the wheel, their eyes on the road, and their mind on driving. You can go to 10tv.com slash Maria's message to learn more about that program. Schools across the state received fake 911 calls about false reports of an active shooter. It happened at nine schools, including one in Columbus. This isn't the first time we've heard of these fake phone calls in our state. The same thing happened to Licking Valley High School in September. 10TV's Kiana Deitches has more about how swatting could be criminalized. Fake calls like these Listen, I need a hostage negotiator. could soon land people in bigger trouble. It needs to be something more than a misdemeanor. State Representative Kevin Miller is one of the authors of House Bill 462, hoping to increase penalties for people who make swatting calls. The hoax phone calls usually involve someone claiming an active shooting is happening at that moment. It should be a felony level offense. Miller previously served as an Ohio State Highway Patrolman. He remembers responding to a swatting call in 2014 that put Denison University on lockdown. Yeah, I remember loading rifles um, into my SUV to ensure that, that my units had those. Under House Bill 462, swatting calls will become a second-degree felony. Those convicted would have to reimburse law enforcement for abusing emergency services. So they're holding folks um, over longer, and the taxpayers are paying that. So that should be, um, in my opinion, that should be paid by the perpetrator. It overcomplicates our, our criminal justice system. It leads to errors at trial, um, and it certainly does not treat the defendant fairly. Nikki Klum is a policy manager for the Ohio Public Defender. She says the bill isn't needed because swatting is already a crime. It's already covered under the inducing panic and making false alarm statute. So when you slightly change the word of a statute and continue to criminalize behavior that is already criminal, it just adds to confusion. Miller, however, says he wants to send a message about pulling resources from people in real danger. If you do this, you will face serious uh, punishment uh, and or fines and restitution.
Kiana Dices reporting. That bill was previously introduced with swatting as a first-degree felony with 3 to 11 years in prison. Lawmakers accepted an amendment to make swatting a second-degree felony with a minimum of two to eight years. One issue 10TV has been following closely is mail theft. And now U.S. Senator Sherrod Brown is pushing the U.S. Postal Service for answers. Last month, he gave the Postmaster General 30 days to respond to his concerns, and he says that hasn't happened. I, when I write a letter to the U.S. Postal Service, I send it on Senate stationery. It's on behalf of 12 million Ohioans in Franklin County and beyond, and I expect them I don't care if they personally call or write back. I expect them to address these issues. And we've had serious problems with mail theft uh, with this postal of this postmaster general. And this comes a week after 10 investigates shined a light on this issue, specifically when it comes to thieves stealing checks from the mail and selling them online. TV uncovered that you could be a victim and have no idea until the damage is done. To see that report, go to 10tv.com slash 10investigates. The U.S. Senate advanced the same-sex marriage bill with bipartisan support. The Respect for Marriage Act would provide federal protections for same-sex and interracial marriages. Twelve Republicans supported the measure, including outgoing Ohio Senator Rob Portman. Same-sex marriage has also had a constitutional right since 2015. Today, there are about a million same-sex households. About 60 percent of them are married. In the minds of most Americans, the validity of these marriages is a settled question. According to Gallup, 71% of Americans believe that same-sex marriage should be recognized as valid by law. Majority support for same-sex marriage, by the way, is seen across all age groups, races, religious affiliations, and even political parties. Polling from just last year shows that 55% of Republicans support the legal recognition of same-sex marriage. Now, the Respect for Marriage Act, it simply says that you get married in one state, another state has to honor it. Millions of American couples, including many in Ohio, are counting on their elected representatives in Congress to recognize and protect their marriage, to give them the peace of mind, to know that their marriage is indeed protected and secure. We must not let them down. We have to do this. Second, we have to do it because in a recent Supreme Court law, uh, Supreme Court case, there was this notion that maybe this would get revisited, this issue of same-sex marriage. So it's important that we resolve the issue for both of those reasons. And people who are in same-sex marriages are understandably very interested in having that resolved. They want to clarify it. I mean, they've made financial arrangements, maybe adoptions and so on. They want to be sure that that marriage can continue to be honored. Republicans gain control of the House in Washington, and that means Congressman Jim Jordan of our state is in line to become chair of the House Judiciary Committee. Jordan met with a group of House and Senate Republicans to map out a strategy and determine potential investigations the committee might pursue. We met with some, some folks who understand that we have a constitutional duty to do investigations, to do oversight, and we're going to do that in a way that's consistent with the Constitution, but we're going to do it aggressively. We were just talking about... Um, Talk about the DOJ some, uh, you know, the concern that we issued a thousand-page report, what, two weeks ago? AEP is fighting to restore your trust. We let our customers down uh, in June with respect to communications. This after that massive outage fa failure with excessive heat over the summer. It's hard for many folks to forget. TV is asking the agency's top person if it's prepared to battle a bitter cold winter.
Hello, I'm Todd Markowitz, Vice President and General Manager of Radio Ohio, which owns 97.1 The Fan. We're an equal opportunity employer dedicated to providing broad outreach efforts regarding job vacancies within our company. We seek the help of local organizations in referring qualified applicants. Organizations that wish to receive our vacancy information should send their request to the attention of Human Resources, Radio Ohio, 770 Twin Rivers Drive, Columbus, 43215. If you'd like to view our current job openings, please visit our website at 971thefan.com and Thanks for listening. Hi, I'm Dom Tiberi. Nine years ago, we lost our daughter Maria to a distracted driving accident. To honor her life, we have pledged to educate young people on the dangers of distracted driving. We funded simulators and visited schools to inspire more than 120,000 young drivers to stay safe. Help spread Maria's message in your school. Contact us at mariasmessage at 10tv.com. And remember, distracted driving is dangerous driving. This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Back to Tracy Townsend, courtesy of 10TV. Ohio's top elections official is backing a new resolution trying to change how amendments to the state constitution are passed. The Ohio Constitution Protection Amendment would change Article 2 of the state constitution to require any amendments brought forth by a petition to pass with 60% of the vote. Right now, they must pass by a simple majority. Secretary of State Frank LaRose says he supports this legislation. I also think that it's important that, uh, uh, you know, that we continue to encourage that kind of consensus building. And I think that uh, if you don't think that your idea is broadly popular enough to muster 60 percent vote of the people, then, then maybe you should uh, not consider bringing it to the ballot. This resolution has been introduced to the Ohio legislature. We'll certainly follow that. More problems for Dollar General. Weeks after the Ohio attorney general sued the company, alleging deceptive pricing, several Franklin County locations failed inspections. The Franklin County Auditor announced five stores failed the inspections of price scanners, which were done in a two-week period. Some items were scanned between 75 cents and $2 higher than they should have been. We asked the auditor if this is considered price gouging. We are concerned by uh, just how broad in the multiple stores. We're not sure why it's happening. Dollar General, though, it's not happening just in Franklin County. Other counties have had similar experiences. Other states have had circumstances where they've entered into settlement agreements. Um, So something's going on there, and and we just want to make sure consumers are aware and alert. Ohio has also filed a lawsuit against Family Dollar for deceitful pricing. Google just settled a lawsuit over your privacy for millions of dollars. Ohio's AG was part of that lawsuit, which claimed Google's location tracking practices were deceptive. As part of the settlement, Google will pay $391 million across 40 states. The company will also be required to show more information about location tracking and provide more detailed summaries of the kind of location data they collect. It also limits Google's storage of location information. Now, even with these new guidelines, the attorney general's office recommends taking a closer look at your devices. Um, The other thing I'll add is a lot of people may be getting new devices for the holidays, right? That's a big thing that people request. They want a new computer, they want a new tablet, they want a new smartphone. But what we need to remember when it comes to smartphones and really any sort of mobile device is that those come with privacy settings. So it's really important to understand your privacy settings, to check your privacy settings, to know what information is being shared with, um, with different apps and different companies. And it's really vital and really important for people to have that control over, um, over their privacy, over their location, and what they're sharing with others. 
Residents are concerned a bitter cold winter could mean more pressure on our power grids. And here's why. It's hard to forget when Central Ohio faced excessive heat back in June, doubled with storms, forcing 170,000 people to go without power for days. AEP turned off the power to save our grid until repairs could be made. So what's the electrical giant doing to prevent problems this winter? 10TV's Kevin Landers is digging for answers from those in charge at AEP. I remember the electric just going off. I mean, like, no notice, no nothing, everything. And it was hot that day. Mike and Jim Decker will never forget June 14th. $2,500 worth of food gone. Like thousands of AEP Ohio customers, they lost power for three days when the energy company initiated an emergency outage due to severe storms, extreme heat, and high demand. The electrical grid, the power lines that send electricity to your home, is old. These were designed with the intended design life of about 50 years, so we way past that. The grid is having to deal with something it wasn't originally designed to withstand frequent extreme weather events. Over the last six years, power outages have more than doubled from the previous six years. So we know these events are occurring more, and we know that climate change is only getting worse. It's at substations like this where high-voltage electricity is converted to low-voltage electricity, then it's sent to homes and businesses. It's through these power lines where 92% of all power failures happen. We wanted to know what AEP is doing to prevent another emergency shutoff. We let our customers down uh, in June with respect to communications. AEP's president and CEO says the company lacked a robust alert system. Just 14% of customers in June signed up for text alerts. So what can be done to prevent another mass outage? It's hard to plan for extreme weather. Like ice on power lines. AEP says it's accelerated its tree cutting program to prevent trees from falling on lines. And it used laser imaging to determine the health of the grid. The company says it plans to spend between 800 to $900 million over the next five years to make the grid more resilient. 10TV has also learned that AEP is negotiating with the Public Utilities Commission to extend the amount of outages it's allowed each year, as well as the duration of outages from 2 hours and 16 minutes to 2 hours and 38 minutes. AEP says the request is based on a growing population. The system's bigger, and so more is required to maintain that. For people like Jim and Mike Decker, they hope the power lines hold up when the temperatures begin to fall. I, mean, I figured if the power went out in the summertime, it could just as well go out in the winter because people are going to start cranking on, you know, the furnaces and everything else. Kevin Landers, 10TV News. All right, back in June, the PUCO promised customers a post-incident review of AEP Ohio's decision to purposely cut off power to thousands of customers. Five months later, that report... It's not finished. A spokesperson says there's no final timeline on when the report will be published. Hospitals across the state are filling up with children who are sick with respiratory viruses. The Ohio Department of Health says the wave of cases we typically see in the winter is here now. They say this is not unusual to see high cases in the winter, but it's different to see so many cases this early. More patients are filling urgent cares and emergency rooms, and hospitals are still experiencing staff shortages. That's why Nationwide Children's Hospital is making some changes. We're taking steps on the inpatient side to augment inpatient capacity by canceling scheduled 
um, or postponing scheduled surgeries or scheduled admissions that can safely be postponed so that we can maximize our ability to care for acute uh, children with viral illnesses inside the hospital. Health experts say flu hospitalizations are on the rise and parents should really watch for symptoms of RSV in young children. They say if your child is sick, try to contact your primary care provider before going to the urgent care or to the ER. I'm Dr. Bruce Vanderhoff, director of the Ohio Department of Health. Busy season is now underway with a significant increase in RSV here in Ohio. We are also now witnessing a significant increase in influenza-related hospitalizations here in Ohio. Parents and caretakers, though, need to pay particularly close attention to babies because they can get into difficulty much more quickly and may require much more rapid response. You should seek emergency care for your baby if you notice unusually fast breathing, ribs pulling with each breath or a bluish color of the lips or face. Also, a fever of 100.4 or higher in infants up to three months of age is a very significant concern. Unfortunately, at the moment, there is no vaccine for RSV. There have been recent encouraging results in clinical trials, but we simply do not yet have an approved vaccine available for this fall and winter respiratory season. Nevertheless, we do have vaccines for both influenza and COVID-19, and it remains very important for parents to get their children vaccinated. 10TV has learned ODOT is short about 30 plow drivers in central Ohio. Columbus says it will have 115 to 120 plows ready to hit the streets this winter. But what about the rest of the area? And will your streets be cleared when the next big winter storm hits? 10TV's Kevin Landers has the story. A winter warning from ODOT to Central Ohio drivers. Expect freeways to be snow-covered longer because there aren't enough drivers to clear the roads. So 30 vacancies is 30 plow routes that another driver is picking up on top of their own assigned route. ODOT says it needs 300 plows to cover Central Ohio. Considering it takes up to 90 minutes for one driver to complete a route, Fewer drivers means it could take hours before the interstates are back to interstate speeds, depending on how much snow falls. So when we're talking about drivers that are doubling or tripling up on routes, we're talking about maybe two to three hours that you're waiting now, as opposed to the 90 minutes maybe you used to wait a couple of years ago. The city of Columbus is taking a three-prong approach to plowing snow this year. If there's a dusting of snow, it will send 45 plows to do the job. One to three inches will put 55 plows on the road, plus an additional 15 smaller pickup plows. So do you believe that 70 trucks is enough to handle the city? I do. The city says after hearing complaints from residents, it's now making residential streets a plow priority. Those streets will now get serviced with every storm. In years past, we would only serve those streets when we received four or more inches. This year, they're going to get served with every storm. They're going to get plowed curb to curb when, when plowing is necessary. The city of Columbus is responsible for plowing 4,700 lane miles, equivalent to driving from Columbus to Los Angeles and back again, plus another 200 miles. So we're as prepared and ready as we can be. Kevin Landers reporting there. The city also updated its Columbus Warrior Watch webpage. This year it will provide real-time updates where the plows are instead of lagging an hour behind. And that way you'll be able to see the last time your street was plowed. 
Our note of promise this week indicates room for improvement in who's leading Fortune 500 companies. A newly released scorecard put together by the Women for Economic and Leadership Development, WELD, African-American Directors Forum, that's AADF, and J.L. Conaway Consulting reveals what's happening in our state when it comes to measuring the number of African-American men and women on the boards and executive leadership teams in Fortune 500 companies here. Ten out of 23 Ohio Fortune 500 companies have no people of color on their leadership teams. Fifteen out of 23 have no African-Americans on the leadership team. I talked with a consultancy partner and researcher, along with the president and CEO of Weld, who agree this This is not just a wake-up call, but an opportunity. I think some of the information we've already read about, some of the stories we've already seen, some of the business cases that say, you know, diversity is good for your business. That is the main reason why we want to continue to track the progress that these companies are making. It is good for business. I don't think anybody would challenge that as the, quote, case study. But then when you look to see what they're actually doing about it, We are woefully below. All three of us have seen certain things happen in this community community and the corporate sector. They rally around it and they get it done. Big, um, incredible things. So we have the capability and the talent. Um, But it's fair to say that, you know, companies have to reach out and ask for help. Weld is advising corporate leaders review compensation packages, check to see if the organization structure is set up to ensure that diversity, equity, inclusion is a priority for the company. We thank you for joining us here on Face the State today, and we wish you a great week. That's again Tracy Townsend, courtesy of our sister station, WBNS 10 TV, from their Sunday morning public affairs program, Face the State. A new edition can be seen this morning at 1130 on 10 TV. This is a St. Jude moment. Ashton was a high-level athlete. And in an instant, your world flips. And your healthy five-year-old competitive cheerleader has a brain tumor. And the physician was like, your best option is St. Jude. Receiving treatment that was life-saving for our child and knowing that that treatment would be of no cost to us was a huge weight lifted. Learn more at stjude.org. Cancer screening can save your life. Begin cervical screening at age 25. At 45, colorectal and breast screening. At 50, discuss lung screening with a doctor. Find resources for free and low-cost screening at cancer.org slash get screened. This is a public service message from the American Cancer Society. This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Hi, this is Dave James, and on the phone with me, Leanne Adams, who is Senior Vice President of National Initiatives for NeighborWorks. How are you? I'm well. Thank you for having me, and excited to be here with you to talk about our survey findings and some critical issues facing our communities today with regards to homeownership and financial stability. Thanks for talking to us. I see that you're a University of Toledo grad. I am. I hail from Ohio, Eastern Ohio, Elizabeth, Ohio, in my hometown. That's great. Uh, tell us what NeighborWorks is. So NeighborWorks is a national nonprofit that works through a network of about 250 local community-based organizations across the country. And we support residents in those communities through um, homeownership access, creating affordable homeownership, um, financial coaching and stability, investing in those communities, uh, creating affordable housing, rental housing, um, and building resident leaders. So there's a lot that our organizations do and that we do to invest in them across the country. 
And concern about affordable housing is, no pun intended, through the roof uh, because of the unbelievable spike in home values these days. Yeah, no, home ownership is definitely a challenge given the rise in housing costs and the decline in inventory. But through a recent housing survey, um, we did find that there are still some disparities that exist in home ownership, but we're also seeing some glimmers of hope. Um, but one of the things that we did learn is that the process is still too complicated. Our survey revealed that 70% of Americans still believe the home buying process is too difficult. And when you add in those challenges of affordability, it's even more difficult. So some of the, the factors though, that keep people from pursuing home ownership are credit and their overall financial standing. For instance, 64% of Americans believe that banks won't approve them for home ownership due to lack of credit or lack of savings. And 60% of black adults and 67% of Hispanic or Latinx adults reported that they need financial guidance to acquire and use that credit. But even with those challenges, uh, the outlook that our survey found was, was kind of positive. And a majority, 53% of Americans believe that owning a house now seems more important than it did in 2019. I understand the, uh, the fear of making a commitment to buying a home, but one way to look at it to me is, whether you are renting or buying a home, there's a certain amount of money you're going to have to pay every month. So it makes sense to at least consider buying a home. That's right. That's right. And there are studies that have shown that uh, there is savings over time. And it remains, home ownership still remains one of the, the best ways to build wealth over long term in this country. Um, and neighborhood organizations, our network of organizations around the country, they can provide a variety of resources to help people on the path to home ownership. So if, it's, if you're a renter and you need to work on your credit or you want to save some money for that down payment, you need to take a home buyer education class, all of these things, and even with that down payment assistance itself, all of these things can help homeowners or people who aspire to be homeowners uh, to get into that home in a sustainable and affordable mortgage. That's what's really important. It seems like uh, if we do move into a recession here in the next year or so, which a lot of people think will happen, that home values are not going to scale back the way they did back in 08. Is that uh, a correct assumption? Yeah, I think that's, uh, that's what we generally see they, they, with the rising uh, rates right now. I think there'll be a slowdown in the market, but it's hard to imagine uh, the kind of decline in home value in most, in most markets. There may be some markets where that happens. I think what we're focused is what are the, the tools to create affordable housing, so building, looking at the supply issue and building affordable housing, but also really uh, investing in these tools that do help people, particularly people of color and low-income people, to get into homeownership. So, again, what, what our survey found is that, you know, helping people to build their, their savings is important, um, helping them to recover from a financial emergency, um, and then putting them on that path to homeownership, because most Americans still do want to be a homeowner. Talking with Leanne Adams, Senior Vice President of National Initiatives for NeighborWorks, you know, one aspect, uh, the down payment, 20% down on a house is just impossible for a lot of people. And these days, a starter home in the Columbus area might run a couple hundred thousand dollars, you know, twice what it would have been maybe 10 years ago. But so, so the alternative is a much lower down payment and mortgage insurance but you know if you're only paying 80 to 100 bucks a month for mortgage insurance as opposed to having to put down you know 20 grand on a house that's a, it's a pretty good alternative yeah 
I mean, we do look at uh, our organizations, organizations like the state housing finance agencies, they do offer resources, and you can layer those down payment assistance resources so that you don't have to, so that that payment is sustainable for you. And that's why we think it's really important that um, organizations work with home buyers, prospective home buyers, to prepare them so they understand the cost, so that they're building savings and they're really uh, valuable, like they can maintain that home going forward. And so, you know, looking at how to access those down payment costs, looking at buying through a nonprofit, like uh, they're in the like home port, they're in the Columbus area, they're one of our neighbor's organizations. They're not only helping people become homeowners, they're building homes too, and those are affordable homes for people in the community. Would you suggest that people who are kicking around the idea of doing it do it sooner rather than later with uh, interest rates still climbing? What we would suggest is that people start the process. So they get in touch with an organization like a NeighborWorks organization. You can go to our NeighborWorks, our website, NeighborWorks.org, to look for a network organization and meet with them. Uh, understand the process. Take a home buyer education class. If you are... Um, they can work with you to build a savings plan if you need to repair your credit or build your credit if you're a renter. They can start you on that path. They can meet people where they are. So I think a lot of people think, like, let's start with looking for a house, but really you should start sooner. Do the financial coaching. Do the housing counseling. Really do the math and make and some savings and identify other resources that can help you. You know, even small towns are getting hit. There's a, a rural area in Ohio where I know someone who's on a fixed income whose rent went from 465 to 700 and, and it's just not sustainable for them. And these days, too, with, with the way that home values have increased, even in a small town, you might not be able to get a mortgage for much less than 700 a month. It's, it's getting tough out there. It is getting tough. It is. And, um, you know, in our, in our survey found that savings for an emergency fund continues to be a challenge for Americans. You know, most Americans would not be able to keep up their usual expenses for more than a month, for longer than a month if they lost their primary income uh, source. And, and with these costs increasing, like you're mentioning, it makes it even more challenging. Um, we do have our organizations do help. That's one of the values of working with a housing counselor or a local organization is they can help you navigate and identify some other resources, subsidies in some cases, or a more affordable housing option. But it is challenging in all communities right now. Are people uh, more reluctant to get that kind of help for home buying than they might be for, say, going to a food pantry? Uh, is it more intimidating? Uh, or, you know, I mean, what, what, are, what are people's thought processes when they turn to that kind of help? Yeah, I mean, uh, that's what I mentioned earlier. One of the things that's most challenging to people is that home buying process. It, it seems daunting to people. It's complicated. They have maybe distrust or they think a bank may not give them a loan because of their credit. And so... Uh, you know, really not just getting past that and, and seeking help. Our organizations are trusted advisors in the community. They can just sit down and have a conversation with you about what your financial goals are and help you put, you know, help put you on that path to getting to wherever that is, whether it's, you know, a, a better budget, monthly budget, creating savings, just focus on housing stability right now. Coming out of the pandemic, there are a lot of people who are still having financial challenges coming out of this pandemic. <clears throat> and there are some resources still available to help folks. Just a minute or so to go here with Leanne. You know, the other thing, too, is that if you have Internet capability and a good realtor, they can step you through a lot of this, and there's not a lot of running into the bank or, you know, you don't even have to physically meet a lot of people these days to buy a house. Yeah, you don't need a lot of people, but you want to make sure you have the right people. <laughs> so you want to have the people who are really going to help you understand the process, uh, navigate it, uh, choose a good mortgage, um, you know, really 
be a realtor, that could be a housing counseling organization, it could be a state housing finance agency, that could be your local bank. Leanne, where do people find more information? Uh, for more information, you can go to our website, neighborworks.org, and you can find more information there. You can also uh, search for a network organization if that might be in your local community and they can help you. Okay, Leanne Adams with NeighborWorks. Uh, Thanks so much for the information today. Thank you. This has been Columbus Perspective, a weekly public affairs presentation of The Fan. Heard each Sunday morning at 6 on WBNS AM. That's 1460 ESPN Columbus. And Sunday morning at 7 on WBNS FM. Sports Radio 97.1 The Fan. Join us again next Sunday for Columbus Perspective.